to the River Fellowship Podcast. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson takes us through Joshua 1. We journey with Joshua as he prepares to enter the promised land with the children of Israel. God gives him four words that apply to us today. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. Well, this morning, we're going to be in Joshua, the book of Joshua. We're going to start a new series this morning, Joshua. So we're going to take a journey with Joshua into the promised land. We're going to make some application, uh, some application from Joshua himself, uh, but other applications just through the story, through the events, through some of the other people that are part of this story as, as Joshua and the Israelites move into the promised land. Now, there are two really bad jokes associated with Joshua. Most of you have probably heard them. One of them is, you know, in Scripture, you're not supposed to judge people. But in the Old Testament books, it says Joshua judges Ruth. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that deserves that kind of a, uh, that's stupid. Yeah, somebody find oh. <clears throat> but the other one is, Joshua is the only person that never had parents, ever. Because in verse 1, it says that Joshua is the son of none. Yeah. I told you they're bad jokes. They're awful jokes. I figured you knew them. So I had to lay them out there. I'm sorry. We'll get a little more serious now. Joshua chapter 1. Let's just read through. We're going to look at chapter 1 this morning. Verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give, you, give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to the forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you for your own. Verse 16, then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. We're going to draw application from Joshua personally, as well as just the story in general. And what we see here in verse 1 is that God is telling Joshua, we're going into the promised land. So Joshua says, okay, I'm ready. And then Joshua tells the people, hey, we're going into the promised land. So the people say, okay, we're ready. But one question is, who is Joshua? Well, in verse 1, it says Joshua is Moses' aide. He's just an aide. Seems pretty inconsequential, pretty insignificant, pretty commonplace, pretty ordinary. Nothing really special on the surface with Joshua. But if you go to Numbers 12, you see that Joshua was one of those 12 spies that Moses sent in to 
see what the promised land was like, to see if they could take the promised land. He was only one of two that said, yes, let's go in. We're ready. God's given this to us. Let's go. The other 10 said, no, we, we can't do it. In Numbers 13, we see that Joshua's real name, his given name was Hosea. Moses is the one that changed his name to Joshua. When you go to Exodus in several chapters, you'll see that he was kind of a servant of Moses. So he was always there with Moses, learning. The second question I had to ask myself is, why Joshua? This is who he is. Why did God choose Joshua? Why did God call Joshua? Well, there's two applications here I want us to look at. One is what I'll just call a literal application, literal story. And that's because Joshua was faithful where he was and what he was called to do right then. Remember, he's suffering in the wilderness, not for anything he did. But he's suffering and waiting in the wilderness because of what other people did. He was ready to go, but what we see is he's faithful and obedient even in that situation. So because of his faith, because of his fervor, because of his fire, God blessed him and he calls him into this new task. He was able to enter the promised land when the other men couldn't. Now there's a, there's a good lesson for us here. Joshua's prosperity and success was a result of his faithfulness and obedience now in the small things. When he was an aide, while he was enduring the discipline caused by others' mistakes, while he was in no place of leadership, and he wasn't doing it so that God would put him into a place of leadership. In other words, he wasn't saying, I'll be faithful and I'll be obedient and I'll trust God so that God will do something in me or through me or for me someday. He was simply faithful, period. He was simply obedient, period. He was simply trusting God, period. Not knowing what the future was gonna hold. Imagine if Joshua had been one of the 10 that said no, we're too afraid, we can't take the promised land, I don't wanna go, he would not be in this place right now. If he was one of the men that uh, came against Moses and wanted to usurp Moses and take Moses' life, he wouldn't be in this situation right now. If he were not faithful and obedient in his now, God wouldn't be doing this in his future. So for us, if we wanna experience God's prosperity, his success. The lesson here is to be faithful now. And I don't know what any of your now looks like. It could be a bad now. It could be a glorious now. But what God is saying in this point is whatever your now is, trust God now. Be faithful to him now. Be obedient to him now. Trust him now. Walk with him now regardless of what that now looks like. And then you'll begin to see what God's gonna do in the future. There's a spiritual application though that I wanna mention. This story is really a picture of law and grace. Moses represents the law and Joshua represents grace. Hoshea, the, the word, means salvation. But Joshua means something even more specific. It means Yahweh saves. And, and Joshua, translated into the Greek, is Jesus. So we see a picture here of law and grace. And there's several applications we can draw from. One is, in the story of Moses and Joshua, it, there's a continual flow. 
there's no break from when Moses is leading the people and then just this smooth transition into Joshua leading the people in the promised land. There's no break. It's a continual story. And the story of law and grace is one continual story. Sometimes we think of that as two different separate events, two different stories. We had law and somehow law didn't work and so now God does grace. That's not the storyline at all. It's one story of how God relates to his people and there's seamless transition. So from law to grace, that's one story, just has two chapters to it. Both men, Moses and Joshua, are called of God and ordained by God to do what God has called them to do. So the law did what the law was called to do and that was to reveal God's requirement for us and to reveal our inadequacy to fulfill God's requirement. But Jesus then was called in and grace called in to fulfill the requirement of the law and to cover us and to redeem us even in our inadequacy. Joshua did what Moses did not do. A very specific purpose. So really what we see here is Joshua and this story is a picture of grace. If you look in verse 2, we see this foreshadowing taking place. God says to Joshua, I am giving the land to them. He didn't say to Joshua, I'm giving the land to you. He wasn't giving the land to Joshua. He's giving the land to the people. Joshua is the means by which God is going to use to give the land to the people. Same is true with Jesus Christ. God didn't save Jesus Christ. Jesus was the means by which he was going to bring redemption and salvation to us. And what does it say in verse 2? I will give the land to them. God did not give the promised land to the children of Israel because they worked for it, because they earned it, because they deserved it, because they were finally faithful enough and obedient enough that God said, okay, you've, you've earned it, so let's go. He gave them the land. And the same is true about our salvation. We don't earn our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. We'll never deserve our salvation. But God freely gives it through his son, Jesus Christ. So it's a picture. It's a foreshadowing of what Christ has done for us. So with that in mind, let's go back to the story. In chapter one, I see four words that God gives Joshua and the people. And they may be four words that would apply to us. For me this morning, sometimes I know, or I kind of know, I kind of think I know what the Spirit wants to say to us. I'm not sure I do this morning because I think it's, it's kind of a, a shotgun effect. So I don't know what the Spirit may say to you specifically through these words, which word is going to speak to you this morning. My prayer is that the Spirit will translate these. Whatever words you need to hear this morning, you'll hear it through this chapter. So here's the first word that God gives Joshua. It's a word of preparation. Verse 2. It says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them. Here's what I hear in that. Moses is dead, so get ready. Get ready. There's going to be a transition time for you, Joshua, so get ready. Remember, they've been in the wilderness for 40 years. They're waiting. They're now ready to move in. And so Joshua's going to have this time of transition. He's going to transition from being an aide to being a leader. He's going to transition from being in this old situation into the new. He's transitioning from being in the wilderness now to be in the promised land. This might be a word for somebody this morning. 
God may be saying to some of you this morning, get ready. It's about to be a time of transition in your life. It's about to step out of the dry, barren, wilderness experience you've been in. And it's time to move in to the promised land. The stagnant period where you seem like you've been waiting and nothing's been going on. God's not doing anything in my situation. Maybe he's saying to you this morning, get ready. It's about time. Maybe he's moving you into a new phase of life, a new phase of ministry. He's going to challenge you with some new challenges in your walk and in your faith. And he's trying to say, you ready. Imagine the transition for Joshua. He's replacing Moses, of all people. He's an aide. So not only is he transitioning into a new role, but he's replacing like the epic leader of all time other than Jesus. Let me make a little reel for you. It'd be like the team trainer replacing the head coach of the same team. And by the way, the head coach is a Hall of Fame legend. Or it'd be like the administrative assistant replacing the former CEO of a company. And by the way, that CEO took this company from a million dollars of debt into a billion dollar company. Or maybe it's like the teaching assistant in a school replacing the superintendent. Oh, and by the way, the superintendent, everything's named after him. <laughs> he was so good. That's, that's the idea of Moses, uh, of Joshua's situation. So imagine his sense of fear and anxiety and worry and feelings of insecurity, inferiority. God knows this. So not only does he give Joshua, this word of preparation, he then follows it up with what I'll call a word of prevention. He knows what Joshua is going to be feeling and experiencing as he moves into this new dynamic. So he gives him these words of prevention. Verse 6 says, be strong and courageous. It says it again in verse 7, a little more forcefully, be strong and very courageous. He says it a third time in verse 9. Anytime you see scripture said three times, you better pay attention. He says again, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Why is he saying this to Joshua? Because he knows Joshua doesn't feel strong and courageous. He feels weak and helpless because he's an aide. So he's trying to prevent him from having these feelings of inferiority and insecurity that would keep him from moving forward. Now this word strong, it's not physical strength. It's talking about internal fortitude, internal strength. The word courageous means to persist, to, to, to be determined. It's a don't quit attitude. What he's trying to tell Joshua here is you're about to step into some new territory. There's going to be some real challenges involved in this. So don't quit. <laughs> you're going to want to quit. There are going to be times you're going to be tempted to quit. There are going to be times you're going to say, this is way too difficult. I don't want to do this. But don't. Be strong and be courageous. Verse 9, it gives him another word of prevention. That's don't be terrified. Why is he telling him that? Because he's probably terrified. <laughs> there's going to be battles. There's going to be enemies. There's going to be things to overcome. So he says, hey, don't be terrified. Now, this word terrified means a variety of things. It means to shake in fear. It means complete and utter panic. 
It means to be immobilized in fear. In other words, you can't do, you can't move, you can't do what you're supposed to do. You're, you're so afraid. We had a little dog named Purdy several years ago. She actually ran away five or six, I don't know how long ago. She ran away, so we don't have her anymore. But she was a wealth of sermon illustrations. <laughs> that dog was so crazy and stupid and funny and sweet all at the same time that just gave me a wealth of these sermon illustrations. She was a great dog, except on certain occasions. She wasn't a big dog. She was half lab, half Dalmatian. So you would think she'd be a pretty good-sized dog, but she wasn't. When those two mix, for some reason, they're a little bitty, so she weighed 8, 9, 10 pounds is all. A couple of things would terrify her. One was thunderstorms. Some of your dogs may do the same thing. She slept in our room, not on our bed, but in our room on a little, you know, pillow dog thing in the corner. And she would be fine unless a thunderstorm was coming. Thunderstorm wouldn't have to even be here yet. It could be an hour away. But she sensed it, and she jumps on the bed. I'd make her go to the, at least to the end of the bed, and she would just stand on the bed, and she'd just shake, just stand, and she'd just shake. It might be two or three hours. She'd just shake, and that dog weighed eight pounds, but it felt like she weighed 80 pounds in that bed. The whole bed is just shaking, just terrified, just shaking in fear. Another thing that would terrify her, for some reason, when we moved to Amarillo with her, she, she, she developed, uh, what's it called, separation anxiety. So when we would leave, she would just go nuts. If she were in the backyard, she'd run around, she'd dug this big trend of dirt, or she would dig underneath the fence, and it got so bad that every time she would go out, she would dig underneath the fence, and she would run away. That's why she ended up running away. She just, could just get lost. We tried to solve that by putting her in a chain link fence in our backyard, and she ate through the chain link fence an eight-pound dog. We tried to put her in a kennel, and she'd just tear up the kennel in every way possible, if you know what I'm saying. One time, we put her in the garage because there was a storm outside. We don't leave her outside. Left her in the garage when we left. She tried so hard to get out. She was so crazed that she ate the wall of the sheetrock trying to get out of the, out of the garage. That's this word, just utter and complete panic. One of the fu funniest stories with Denise and I that I'll never forget, we were newlyweds, hadn't even been married a year yet. I'd taken a church to be youth and music pastor at a church in North Dallas. And we'd, I'd gone to do a youth event. Denise didn't go with me, but she was going to try to stay up and, you know, be there when I got back. Well, it was about one o'clock coming in. She couldn't make it. We lived in a little one-bedroom apartment at that time. So when you opened the door, the, the couch was kind of at that back wall. Where you, that's what you saw when you walked in the door. Well, her back was toward the door. Her face was in the back of the couch and she was asleep. So I was just going to go and, and, you know, touch her shoulder and just whisper, you know, hey, honey, I'm home. Let's go to bed. Time to get up. <laughs> Nobody told me don't do that. <laughs> Nobody told me that she had a problem with sleepwalking. Nobody told me don't ever do that to her. I'm newly married. So I just go up there with love and tenderness. <laughs> and I kind of shake her. And as I begin to speak, she just flies off of that couch. It's like a commercial, you know, with these, just, they're just animated in space. So these cats, when you scare them, and they just jump straight up. That's what she did. She lands on the couch. I'm so startled. I skip back four or five feet. And she's just staring at me. And she is screaming. Get away from me. Don't touch me. I hate you. Don't. And she's just screaming at me. Well, I try to approach her. 
to try to calm her down. But when I do, she starts screaming louder. Now she's throwing pillows at me. We had all these you know, sofa pillows, five or six sofa pillows. She's screaming, get away. She's throwing all this stuff at me. So I back up again. Finally, she gets out a pillow. So I come after her again. This time she stands up out of the couch. She has her arm raised like this, like she has a knife in her hand or something. And she's coming at me, get away. I hate you. She's just screaming at me. Finally, she comes to me and I grab her arm and I throw it next to her side and now I'm shaking her and now I'm screaming at her, wake up, wake up, what? Now we're just screaming. I'm surprised the cops didn't come. We were just screaming at each other. Finally, she kind of calms down a little bit. She looks at me with this glazed look. And so I say, Denise, who am I? She gets this gleam in her eye, this big smile. Steve. My name's not Steve. So I start shaking her again. Wake up, wake up. Finally, she kind of goes limp. So I say again, Denise, who am I? Now I know she's awake. You're Daryl, stupid. So I start telling her everything that's going on. She didn't believe me. I said, Denise, look at all the pillows on the floor. I was so terrified. My legs were shaking. It was like, it was like I'd run a marathon. It was just, I couldn't even walk. They're like jello. I try to go into the, into the kitchen. I'm going to get a drink of water. And I'm, just, I'm just sitting here shaking. I'm so scared. I said, I have married psycho woman. She's going to stab me in my sleep someday. And I don't know what's going to happen. I, I couldn't do anything. That's this word. Terrified. God is telling Joshua, don't be terrified. You're going to encounter some things in this new transition time. They are going to terrify you, but don't let it send you into panic. Another word of prevention. Don't be discouraged. This word literally means to be shattered. It's the picture of throwing a vase down on the floor and it just breaks up in a thousand pieces. There's no way you can bring that vase back together. You're never going to bring it back together. It's a hopeless cause. That's what that word means to be discouraged. What he's trying to tell Joshua now is don't become hopeless. There's going to be some battles. There are going to be some things that happen. And we'll look at those as we go through Joshua that it, you're going to feel like this is hopeless. No, it's not. Don't get discouraged. Verses 7 and 8, he says, obey me. He says, obey the word, obey the law, do everything that's written in it. In other words, he's saying, you may be tempted to take things into your own hands. You may be tempted to do it your way. You may be tempted to use your own wisdom, your own logic, your own power, your own reasoning, your own army, your own strength, but don't. When I'm calling you into this, you do it my way and you'll be successful and prosperous. But God doesn't leave Joshua just with the word of prevention. He tags on with it, word of promise. The word of promise here starts in verse five. He says, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Verse six, he says, you will lead these people to inherit the land. It's gonna happen. Why? Because I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. Verse nine, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So he's given this word of prevention. Don't be terrified. Don't become discouraged. Don't all this. Why? Because I'm promising you my presence and my power. And if you'll heed these words of prevention, I promise in this new phase 
I'll be with you and my power will be with you. It's a great word for us this morning. I don't know how it applies to you specifically. I just know that if God's calling you into something new, the dry and the barren, the wilderness is over. God's maybe bringing you into new phases of ministry, new challenges of ministry. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a new career. Maybe you're a new parent. Maybe you have more kids. Maybe whatever it is, it could be a plethora of things going on in your life that God is now saying, this period is over and I'm transitioning you into a new phase of life, a new challenge. But there are going to be some difficulties. There are going to be some challenges. There are going to be some problems. There are going to be times when you're going to be discouraged. There are going to be some times when you're just going to be fearful that I can't do this. I can't go on. I can't. Whatever that situation is, what God is trying to tell us is, I will not take you anywhere that I will not give you success. And if you'll do it my way, you'll be successful because I will be with you. Anything God calls us to do, he doesn't call us to do it by ourselves. He promises his presence and his power. Maybe you're a new believer and you're trying to do this Christian thing and you're saying, I can't do this. You're right. You can't. But God can do it with his presence and his power. Maybe God's calling you into some new ministry, some new leadership. He's been trying to birth in you. Hey, it's time to step it up. I want to call you to use you in a new endeavor. You may be saying, uh, I'm just an aide. <laughs> if he's calling you, you better say yes and know that he will give you his presence and his power. He'll provide it. it doesn't end there, though. He finishes here with what I'm calling just a word of prophecy to him. In verse 8, he says, then, that really is talking about everything else he said. In other words, don't be discouraged, don't be terrified, do it my way, obey me, be strong, be courageous, do all that stuff, know that I'm here, believe me, trust me, walk with me, all that, then, package all that, then, you will be prosperous and successful. You will. You, not, you, you might be. You probably will be. You can be. No. You will be prosperous and successful. That word prosperous here doesn't mean financial gain. Now, God can do that too. But here, this word means to prevail. It means to be victorious, to thrive. The word successful means to become skilled, to become wise. In other words, to get it. In other words, what he's saying to Joshua is, you're an aide, you've never been a leader, you may not think you can do this, but you can do that because I'm going to give you the skill and the wisdom and the ability to accomplish it. Everything I'm calling you to do, I'm going to equip you to be able to do it. You're going to get it and you're going to be prosperous. You're going to be victorious. You're going to prevail. You are going to lead these people into the promised land. Back in Deuteronomy 31.3, it says the Lord, your, the Lord God himself will cross over ahead of you. Everything God has calling you to do right now, he's already gone before you. And if he's laying a new challenge in your life, a new task, a transition, he's already gone before you. And if you'll do it his way, if you'll trust him, you'll be faithful, he will cause you to be victorious. It's a promise. It's a great word. 
So whatever new season God may be calling you into, new endeavor, new challenge, again, that's between you and the Spirit, what he's saying to you specifically. He'll cause it to happen. There's one last word I have to give. It's a church application. Because I've, I've kind of been reading through this and praying through this and just thinking through this. The one phrase that has stuck in my heart and in my head is get ready. Get ready. I don't know what it means. I have no idea what it means. God hadn't been specific. It could be get ready because the battle's about to come. <laughs> it could be get ready because some things are about to happen that are going to be tough. It could be get ready because God's about to unleash his spirit. I don't know what it means. I just know that in my heart he's saying, get ready. And the key for Joshua and the people, particularly Joshua, was the now. It was the word of preparation. He was faithful now. He was obedient now. He was trusting now. And so when God said, get ready, he was ready. And they move into the promised land. So for us as a church, we're eight weeks old, we're young, but now is the time of preparation. Now's the time to be faithful. Now's the time to be obedient. Now's the time to trust God. Now's the time to do it God's way. Now's the time to ask the Spirit to move. Now's the time for us to be prepared so that when God says, get ready, it's time, we're ready. And just like Joshua and the children of Israel, we say, let's go. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.